This got to be God. How are y'all doing tonight? How are you doing? Doing well. Okay. We're representatives of Jesus Christ. We go around preaching about Jesus Christ. Oh, really? teachings and how they can how they can bless our lives. I wonder if y'all would be interested in learning more. Well, I mean, would you be interested in learning more? Hey, Jesus Christ set up his church and gave that authority to act in his name, that priesthood authority, to the apostles. And the apostles went and taught the people right. and established the church. Right. But because people rejected Christ's teachings and the teachings of the apostles, then eventually uh, we fell away into a state of apostasy. Okay, but that's, that's where I disagree. That's where I disagree because you said the people rejected Jesus Christ. Um, in his not teachings. Every, not everyone. Yeah, you but that's that's the way he, you know, that's what yeah. I mean. The people okay. at that time. No, not everybody at that time. Not everybody. Right, right. No, I'm not denying the I'm not denying the rejection, but I'm denying the fact that he said the people rejected. Yeah. Well um, enough people rejected that they did something about it and obviously crucified yeah. and resurrected. Well, I mean, I mean, the, the, when you talk about the crucifixion, we're talking about the, the, the death penalty of the state, which was the Roman Empire, um, the same way you got the death penalty here in America. So, I mean, we well, we condemn in Rome as a whole when we talk about the crucifixion, when we talk about who's responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, or we just talking about the people that didn't accept his message? We don't condemn anyone because that's not our place. No, well, no, I understand that, but according to what he just said, what he just said, no, but listen, I mean, can I get a word in? What he just said was that when the people rejected Christ, so I mean, the scriptures tell you he that believeth not is condemned already. So I'm going according to basically what you guys say. I'm not accusing you of condemning anybody. But when you said when the people re uh, rejected him, the way the Bible reads, once you reject and don't believe, you are condemned. So what I'm saying is the crucifixion, the Roman Empire that crucified him, that had that penalty of death, um, are those are the ones that condemned or is just the ones that rejected him? That's my question. Good question. Well, well, I thought you guys was here to teach. What All else right. is the Book of Mormon? Okay. This card. Why would I take that? The scripture says that you know if anybody coming to your house and and don't bring the correct book, that you're not supposed to bid them God's speed. So I mean, why would I take the Book of Mormon? We sitting here talking about the Bible. You pushing on me the Book of Mormon? Because it testifies of Jesus Christ. But don't the Bible testify of Jesus Christ? So then why do I need the Book of Mormon? So oh, so the God words need to be, God word is weak. It needs to be strengthened by the Book of Mormon. Well, because people can take the Bible. Right. And, twist it and they can't take the Book of Mormons and twist it? No. The Book of Mormons talks about the Bible. Okay, so the Book of Mormons has more virtue than the Bible. Sir. I'm just asking. I'm, I'm wondering. I understand. We're not here to talk about it all night long like this. Oh, really? Well, you was here to talk about it all night long before you knew I knew the scriptures? No, sir. <laughs> then you come up on your bike riding saying, are you ready to learn something? <laughs> now you're ready to go, huh? Sir. Wow. We is that what it. you guys about? When you run into somebody that, that you can't really... Do you want this or not? Oh, no, now you're dictating what's going on. No, I don't want it. I think I made that clear. You know I don't want that. What you should want to know is the fact that you are in something that is not divinely inspired by God. It has no authority by Jesus Christ. This is the reason. The scripture says in the book of Luke chapter 21 verse 15. This is how you know who Christ ordained. He said, I will give you a mouth in wisdom which none of your adversaries shall be able to gainsay nor resist. You guys can't come against anything that I'm saying. Everything that, no, you've been shut down. Already. Everything hey, that I've been saying to, to you, speaking, listen, over-talking is not going to get you nowhere. Being angry is not going to get you nowhere. I mean, we had a discussion. We're having a discussion here. I don't need to stop and listen to you. The bottom line is I asked you questions that you couldn't answer. You clearly said, I don't know on tape. I mean, it's not like I'm lying to you guys. Christ said, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries shall be able to gainsay nor resist. I have that mouth. That's why you're feeling the way you're feeling right now. Your only reaction is to get angry and to get frustrated and to be evil. That's your only reaction. You don't want to deal intelligently and diplomatically with the Word of God. The Scripture says that the servants of the Lord must not strive. Why argue about it? If we all believe in the Bible, shouldn't we agree? Can two walk together except they agree? What has to happen here or what's happening is somebody must not be believing the Bible. Especially if you're getting upset about a conversation about the Scriptures. You must really don't believe. <laughs> now, could that be it? Are you asking Sir. me, if, or are you telling me what I what do? I, do no, no, what I'm asking, and what I'm trying to figure out is, is common sense. If we all have a common ground and we believe in the Bible, then should anybody be upset? <laughs> we're, supposed to be have, we're supposed to be having a wonderful conversation about the Bible. Because we all believe in the Bible. We all believe in Jesus Christ. But evidently and obviously, some of us are lying about who we really believe in. 
some of us really believe in Joseph Smith, and they really don't believe in Jesus. That's why when you preach Jesus, they get upset and say, sir, listen to me, and try to dominate the conversation. Because they can't talk diplomatically and righteously about Jesus Christ because you have not so learned Christ. If you have learned Christ and have been taught by Christ as the truth is in Christ, then you will know what the Bible is all about. But you don't know that, sir. You don't. You don't. How can you? Well, how can you say an empty statement like that? What did I say that shows you that I do not know anything about right, Jesus? Hang on. Stop. Yeah. Oh, you're done. Bye. Bye. Good night. It's good to meet you. Yeah, it's good to meet you too. But you can't visit somebody that don't believe in Jesus Christ. God's feet. I know. That's just Okay, I don't care what you know, sir. This conversation is over. As you can clearly see, um, there's not a man on the planet that can stand before us. This is evidence. It don't matter whether it's the white boys that's lost that they think they believe in Jesus but really believe in Joseph Smith, or whether it's the Israelite that knows he's an Israelite and he's an Antichrist. The same thing happens. They cannot stand here in front of us because we're the real ones. We're that's the right. guys. That's right. you just seen it live. <laughs> Yo, y'all got to talk back at me on that one. We're going we're to be a little interactive today. Is that okay? Tell, tell me, what, 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 is, what was up with that? Tell me what was, give me the good about it first. Can somebody, anybody, just give me the good about what you saw in that video today? What, what was good in it? He knew the word. Okay, what else? A little bit. <laughs> he said a little bit. He said that's an appendices, parentheses, and brackets. All right, what else? Huh? Willing to contend for the faith, Gianna? He didn't look typical. Right. Right, 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 right. He knew a little bit more than they did. They, they, they kind of ran up on something they didn't, they didn't bring out. Anybody else? Well, what else was good? He wasn't afraid of being rejected. Okay, good. That's real good. Boldness, boldness. What else? He didn't want to take the Book of Mormons from them dudes. Okay. <laughs> it was one against two. Wow. Mom, do. Cult against cult. Amen. I'll get to that in a second. He wasn't willing to compromise. He stood on the truth. Amen. 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 What was... Sister Christy. All right. All right. Now let's... Now you just opened the door to the next side. All right. What was... What was like the no-nos in that tape? She said... She said lack of humility. Lack of... Okay. More diplomatic. More diplomatic. Okay, Sister Smith. Absolutely. More coming from love to see their salvation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Over this way, Ange. Arrogant. Arrogant. What else? Mom, do? Heckled them. Heckled them. Mm. I'm ready. I'm coming back. Paul. Didn't exhort impatience. Uh, um, um, ready, and then I'm coming over to Daryl. Say that again. Misquoting the scriptures. Absolutely. Absolutely, Daryl. He didn't give him the gospel. How about that? He did a little bit in the beginning. But it kind of got off on something else. Clarity. He didn't offer him salvation. Mill. Mm, though he gave the word, he didn't reflect Christ. I mean, we can go on and on. Let me come over here. Let me come over here. Let me come over here. He's, uh, he was so self-exaltation. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. The married couple trying to tag team. Look at y'all. Go ahead. 
condescending, very disrespectful. My brother right here. Huh? Yep, he said he was God. Uh-huh. What else? He did. No, no, that they were gods. That they were gods. Uh-huh. You got to say that in the mic. I got You got Everybody got to hear that. Come in. Say that in the mic, what you just said. Rather than elevating Jesus Christ over Joseph Smith, he elevated himself as, like, all-knowing, powerful. That's real good. That was real good. Want to become Christians because of interaction with? They might not never want to become Christian because of that. She said because of that trash. You are so crazy. <laughs> That's a missy term, y'all. Y'all gotta go ahead, sis. <laughs> no sensitivity. No sensitivities, Nick. Prejudice. Prejudice. What y'all think about those comments at the end about white people and Israelites? Um, yeah, actually, he's not a Hebrew Israelite. Somebody sent me that video last week, and they were saying, man, don't let the durag fool you. So, I, you know, I, I picked it up, looked at it, and, man, at first I was like, oh, okay, man, on the block. Then I looked at the joint, man, and, man, I was like, yo, this is a little scary. Then I went to the website, and he's actually presenting himself, that young boy, um, I'm not going to give y'all the website because I don't want y'all to fall away from the faith or nothing. But he, he's the leader of a cult of thousands of people who believe that blacks, Indians, and Latinos are the true Israel. And um, he's teaching that the Holy Spirit is not the ultimate comforter, but he's the new comforter. And so um, it was, but you'd never know that from the convo, right? And so as we were just, as, we, as I was just looking at today and, and thinking about today, um, I was just thinking about, you know, in light of our text today, like, man, like Christianity, like it's hard to peg before people what is true Christianity and what's not true Christianity. And so we're living in a society, man, where it's just it's so confusing because everybody is demanding that their truth is absolute truth. And so it's like, man, how in the world think about it as an unbeliever. How in the world do you know? Whether or not you're hearing from a true Christian or not a true Christian. And so it's like, it's, I mean, it's becoming more scary and it's scarier and scarier and scarier. And, and, I'm, and I'm to the point where we have to, like today when we get into text and Jesus, has, Jesus laid this thing out so beautiful for the disciples. <coughs> because, open that for me. Because. He wanted his disciples to be left with what it meant to be distinctive. We've been going through John, and we've been up in the upper room discourse, and we've been in John 15. This is our third week in John 15, and we've kind of done a mini-series called Hateology 101. And the first week, we talked about uh, the expectations of true disciples. And we saw that that comes from, like, Jesus' expectations is for us to bear fruit through having deep intimacy through drawing on his nutrients to grow so that we can bear the fruit of actually being Christians. Then the week before last, um, we talked about um, Hateology 101 Part 1, and we talked about this. We talked about um, that that abiding, if you're truly abiding, if you're spending time with God, as God is doing stuff in your life, if he's really working with you and you're really drawing on the minerals of Jesus Christ's blood and his life and his death and his flesh, then what will happen is, is that, you will actually love other believers and you will out, you try to outserve other believers and you'll get into deep relationship with them. So the reason why we call that Hateology 101, part one, is because before you could truly understand hate, you got to really understand love. But now this week we're going into, uh, you know, I guess I'm, I have some struggles. I had a lot of struggles with working on this message just because a lot of the application for this message is difficult in America. We, we live in a society where there are so many sects of Christianity. There are, um, we live in a country where Christianity is not going under any persecution because of our assimilation into the world system culture, systems culture, that there's a lack of distinctiveness within us. And then, like those who are seen as distinctive in the midst of the body of believers are seen as these super people when they're just actually living out basic principles of Christianity. That's crazy, isn't it? 
When someone's serious, you're seeing it's too much because nobody is what the level ground of what a Christian is supposed to be is supposed to be. And so in this text, Jesus, Jesus does some, some, some powerful things in us getting into hate, uh, Hateology 101 Part 2. I, I, we went out, and, we, uh, and we're going to show another video at the end, but one of the things that we asked was, what are some reasons, what are the illegitimate reasons Christians are hated on in the world? What are some illegitimate reasons? These are some things, these are some things we came out in our questionnaire. Inability to constructively dialogue. This is why people hate on Christians, because Christians many times we are seen as, and we're not putting blasts on the church, we're just laying out a reality. Are y'all with me? They're forcing non-Christians to prematurely embrace a Christian worldview. That's called forcing a conversion. In other words, one of the things that we try to do is we love so much to say somebody came to the Lord Jesus Christ is we will, we will give them a Christian worldview that don't, they don't even have. Like if an artist put one song about Jesus on their album, oh, they're Christian. Don't say nothing about them. You can't judge. You can't judge. And they're Christian. So we give them Christianity that they don't have. Christians themselves seem to hate others. Like, there seems to be, like, even when we talk about sin towards a person that is sinful um, or, or, or that's in the world and that's in a particular pegged area of sin, like homosexuality or something like that, the way we relate to them, if a person is an abortionist, the way we relate to them is we relate to them in a way that seems like hate. Um, it is too hard to know who is really a Christian. That's what some unbelievers said. They said, for us, the reason why we ain't Christians because we don't really know whether this, whether this is a real religion or real spirituality or walk or whatever y'all call it because, because we can't tell who's actually one. Like, like, like the, I, I always look at the, um, the, the, you know, those animal channels, and they always talk, you know, endangered species. You know, like to some unbelievers, true Christianity is an endangered species. They're hard to find, and they need to be held in captivity and studied so we can actually see them in their habitat. But then, <laughs> wearing their religion on their shirts, wearing their religion on their shirts, you know, just, just, wear, just always, there, like, instead of living out Christianity, always proclaiming it in a way that's overly abrasive. Attacking groups that have never bothered them. Intolerant of other people's viewpoints. And last but not least, I mean, we could go on all day, day and night about this. But coming to premature conclusions about people before talking to them. <clears throat> so a lot of times Christians, we are seen as people who come to conclusions. Oh, I know, we always pick, that's an existentialist. I was watching this dude on, 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 online talking about why atheists hate Christians. And he was saying how he didn't hate Christians. He just had a problem with Christians calling him stuff that he never ascribed to. And he said, if you would have sat down and talked to me, you would have known that I'm not that, but I'm actually this. And so it's interesting how, how things have been viewed. Let's, let's, let's define hate. Webster's Dictionary, as we get in the text, um, Webster's Dictionary, uh, and we're going to get into biblical definition of hate. Whoa. Turn the fan just a little bit for me, somebody, please. Um, hate. Number one is, is an, uh, often attributed into intense hostility and aversion, aversion usually deri deriving from fear, anger, or, in, or, 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 or sense of injury, extreme dislike or apathy, loathing, um, an object of hatred. It tripped me out when they use the word in the definition. To, uh, to feel extreme enmity towards someone, something, or someplace, to have a strong aversion to or to uh, find very distasteful. Now check out the, I, I, I don't have time. You could do just a series on the biblical understandings of hate. There's so many, but I'm just going to list them real quick just so that we can have a biblical understanding of hate. Now in the Bible, there's unrighteous hate and there's righteous hate. Now, one of the things you'll see in the Bible is you'll see that God hates people. Like a lot of people say that God doesn't hate people. That's not true. Read Psalm 5.5. 5. He says, I hate all who do iniquity. So he doesn't just love the sinner, hate the sin. He hates both and he loves them at the same time. Crazy. I don't understand how he does it. But then also, but then also um, 
God, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a hate that I'm going to talk about in a minute. I don't want to get on the Christian one yet. Okay. Um, there's another hate that is forbidden um, by the Old Testament law in Leviticus. Um, and then there's a, also another hate. This is, this is the opposite of godly, of godly hate. Um, ungodly hate also is um, the hatred that we're going to actually see in our passage today um, of unbelievers, uh, towards believers. Um, but then hate is even called in the Bible murder. Like hate is even called murder. In the Bible, the Bible describes it as an intense feeling of aversion or enmity, which could uh, prompt a person to loathe someone or something or even to seek revenge for having been wronged. Okay, now let's look at all the the, the types of hate that's not sinful. We saw that God's hate is not sinful um, because he can righteously hate because he's the only one that has the true right to hate. That's called justifiable hate. But then there's a hate in the scriptures that God calls every true disciple to have. And that's the hate that he says, if you, if you love your mother, your father, your cousin, your stuff more than me, he said, look, you're supposed, you're supposed to hate all of that in light of the gospel. Now, what does he mean by that? Um, he means that in comparison to your love for your discipler, Jesus Christ, that in comparison to the way you love others, your love for Jesus Christ is so many light years beyond your love for others that it looks like hate. So, but, but then as we go in this passage and we look at it, we're going to ask the question, what are the legitimate reasons Christians should be hated on? My point today is we're hated on in American society for all the wrong reasons. But we have to re-identify, and we're going to show that we don't go seeking out hate, but hate is something that's a byproduct of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. You still with me? Let's read the passage. Verses 18 uh, through 16, 4 says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world and the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will, um, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and, spoke and, and spoken to you, to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they are, or, uh, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father, but the word that is written in their law may be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things, all these things to you, to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of their synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father for, uh, nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you. Jesus is still preparing his disciples for his departure. And in him preparing them for his departure, he prepares them for the inevitable two-sided response of what it means to be. Because remember the week before last week we talked about Hateology 101. Believers are supposed to proclaim the gospel together and are supposed to make disciples together. Jesus says that within the framework of the community of Christians living in the world, especially the apostles, the disciples, you're going to have two responses. But Jesus told them in the earlier verses, in verses 15 through 18, what type of responses they were going to have that were on the positive side of the coin. 
But now he wants to tell them the responses on the negative side of the coin. So he goes in here and he begins to tell them, like, these are the things that happen to people who are faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ in their society with a group of people that are called out on mission with me. This is what it looks like. And so he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. That brings me to my first point. Opposition comes with our mission. Opposition comes with our mission. So right here, let's, let's, let's chop up the word world real quick. Can I do that for a second? The word world is used in a plethora of ways in Johannine literature or John's writings. And so right here in the text, we see a different use of world that's not the same as he uses in um, his, all of his writings, even 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, nor in the Synoptic Gospels. But let, let's just lay them out so we can kind of zoom in on the one he's talking about. The world is, is uh, in the immediate context, of course, is going to talk about the first century Jews and their rejectors of Jesus. But these are a bunch of them. First, there's the world is made up, like, you know, do said on one album. Now, the world, you know, and so I, I like the way he did that in talking about the world is a place, is a system, is a way of thinking and a way of doing things. And the Bible says, no. The natural universe is the first uh, definition of world. The natural, seen, and created universe. That's called the world. God for, uh, so, so when it talks about in the Bible um, that Jesus Christ came into the world um, in, 11, 9, in John 11.9 and John 17.5, I have left them in the world. When he talks about leaving us in the world, it's not just... Um, they're talking about leaving them among the people of the world only, but in all of the created fallen universe. But then, so that's the natural world. Then you got the second definition of world. You have fallen humanity. And so the, when it says all of the world have gone after him, that's, that represents fallen humanity, Jew and Gentile both. But then also the world represents those who are rejectors of the gospel. And so in John 7, 7, you'll see that John 14, 17, John 15, 18, and you'll see it in, 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 in uh, John 12, 31. Now, these are, the, now, the, now the people, now Jesus here is talking about the people in the world. He's talking about the world hated you. He's not talking about the, the grass hates you, the thunderstorm hates you, the water hates you, the planets hate you. He's talking about people hate you. Now, he says, if they hated me, he's talking about the, when he was walking on earth proclaiming some people trusted him, some people didn't. Those same people, upon Jesus' ascension, since Jesus is no more physically present in his human form on planet earth, and the, and the believers who are properly abiding in him, bearing fruit, bearing more fruit than bearing much fruit, walking together in community, proclaiming the gospel, and making disciples, what will happen is, is they will be walking in such a way that these, this group of people will be being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with Jesus in his physical human absence, gone from the earth, although he's spiritually present through the spirit, what happens is, is the enemies of Jesus will direct their attention from Jesus to the people who look most like him. And so what it says in this passage is the world of these groups of people who are absolutely unadulteratedly um, not crazy about the gospel. And this is the reason why, several reasons. Number one, their, their, affections, their affections or passions. Self, these are self-centered desires and inclinations. That means that there are opposite ways of, of in other words, what draws people out um, in the world is different than what draws out people that know the Lord Jesus Christ. So their affections are different, okay, or fallen or unredeemed. Worldview is different. The, you know, and so it's a self-centered pattern of thinking. That's worldview differences. Self-centered pattern of thinking. Even people that have good morality and are very religious, even their morality and their religiosity is self-centered, making it fallen, even if it resembles Christianity. See, sometimes we miss, we miss, inter oh, that dude is a good dude. Man, that dude, he's a, man, he's a good bro. Man, he's a good dude, man. And if a cat is fallen, he's not a good dude. And so Jesus says, listen, even though you might not be physically persecuted by these people, they oppose me because they exalt their application of my truth above doing it through me. 
Now, driven by, they're driven by, they're driven differently. So their affections are different. Their worldview is different. The way they think, the way, what they use as a measuring rod for life. Um, even the pluralists, um, what they use for a measuring rod for life is, 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 they always say, well, the truth is relative. Well, that's a measuring rod because you're now taking truth and your measuring rod for truth is no truth. Therefore, that's your measuring rod. Driven by, uh, so they have, they're driven differently. All of this is going somewhere, stay with me. So their affections are different, their worldview is different, and they're driven by different things. That means they're self-centered application of their worldviews, if they even keep it. And so they have different passions than ours, they have a different way of thinking uh, than ours, and they have a different way of doing things from those who are discipled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this comes with the mission. So the steeds of the people that hate believers hate believers based on the believers walking and looking like Jesus Christ, not like that. But the problem is, in our society, is many people who claim to be Christians have selfish passions, selfish worldview, and selfish application of that worldview. Even in their, sometimes in our understanding of the Bible, it's selfish like our brother or this cat whoever he is, because it centers on us and not on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what happens is, what's happening in this text is Jesus saying, listen, this is going to happen because of proper identification with me. Hate in context. Jesus says a few things about it. Opposition is not sought, is a given. Verse 18 again, if the world hates you, know that it has, it has hated me before it hated you. Verse 20. The A part of the verse. It says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute. They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, (laughs) they will keep your words also. Then look at 21A. It says, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. You know, I, I really struggle. I struggle in America with whether or not we actually experience persecution. I struggle um, because we might have lost every ounce of our distinction. <laughs> but I, I, I just really feel like, even, even studying, I was like, how do you apply this to, to us? It feels strange, like, reading, like, how many of us have honestly really been hated because we look like Jesus? Don't raise your hand honestly have experienced true hate and true opposition because we've actually hated Jesus. I believe we live in such a melting pot and we live in such a lukewarm Christian culture that the distinctiveness of the Christian nutrition has been watered down by our affections, by our worldview, and by our application of that worldview, by way of what drives us. And so Jesus in this passage wants us to know that, listen, you don't go out and seek. I know God, some people seek opposition, like this guy. Go out and seek opposition to seek to bring a crowbar between you and unbelievers. But Jesus says, listen, the reason why they hated me, and he'll say they hated me without cause, is because I was living out the true mission of God, the revelation that I got from God. We'll talk about that in a minute when Jesus lays that out as the ways and the reasons for the opposition. Um, But he says, listen, we don't seek out opposition. Opposition is something that actually just comes naturally for those who are actually walking godly in Christ Jesus. And, and, And I hope and pray that one day God allows the American church to become persecuted. You know, when I look at our Chinese brothers over across the water and the persecution that they experience, if you preach the gospel publicly, you are automatically thrown into prison. Um, so there's very little, there's very little of that in America. There's not many places you can go. I mean, they'll look at you stupid, but, but the reason why the distinctiveness of the gospel doesn't call persecution in America is because Christians have been all talk and no action. And because of being all talk and no action, The gospel seems void and the way of Jesus Christ becomes malign. In other words, in other words, we're supposed to be, and we'll look at 1 Peter 4, verses 14 through 17 in a second. But we're supposed to be maligned for right reasons, not the wrong reasons. But the reason why we're maligned is because we're improperly reflecting the glory of Christ um, through walking as disciples and as a community of faith. So opposition is, is, is not sought. It sought out is actually, it's actually a given. 
Next, opposition is a product of being changed. A product of being changed. Look at verse 19. He says, he says in verse 19, he says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus Christ tells his disciples, you are not of the world. Well, the way John uses of something, he'll say, you're not born of God. You're not of God because you don't accept the things of God. Well, what he means of you're not of the world is you're no longer born uh, according to the world system. And because now what has happened is you, you have been born again and you're no longer of the world. That means born according to the passions, the worldview, and the application of the world positionally. What happens is, is there's going to be opposition because you're no longer of that particular way of thinking, that way of doing things, and that system. And so Jesus says, listen, it's first going to happen because you're not of the world. The disciples are no longer born according to the, the, the world system. But not only that, um, we've been disassociated spiritually by being chosen. Jesus says, um, he says, but I chose you out of the world. We're going to see in John 17, we're not going to talk about it, but it's funny. Jesus already told them in John 14 that I'm going to prepare a place for you. You can't go with me, right? He says, I've chosen you out of the world. So we'll see in John 17 that he doesn't take them out of the world. He leaves them in the world, but they are to be spiritually disassociated with the unbelieving populace. And we're going to, I'm going to explain that in a second. So being chosen means to be born of God with purpose. Born of God with purpose. To be chosen is the word that we get our election from, which means that Jesus Christ has sovereignly set aside a crew of people for a specific purpose. Not so we can stand aside and clap our hands and enjoy a singing kumbaya and eating snacks together. But we've been, we've been changed and we've been called with a particular purpose in mind. Not to live out our dreams, not to live out our passions, but to be conformed to the image of Christ so that we can find our eyes, his dreams, so that our dreams can be, and passions and vision can be seen in a long, in accordance with the reason why he chose us. Now, the other, and so Jesus says, listen, if you, it, it, w- w- the reason why they're going to not like you is because I, I've chosen you. That means when you get chosen, you get a new heart, you get a new spirit, and the spirit of God is in us, and then we're able to walk in the statues, Ezekiel, right? But that means that we're the opposite. That means our affections are supposed to be Christ-centered desires and, and um uh, and um, inclinations, um, worldview, Christ-centered pattern of thinking. We have received the mind of Christ. Stay with me. And driven. We're driven differently. Christ-centered application of the mind of Christ. Every Christian at salvation, when you were chosen to salvation, First Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 16 says that we have the mind of Christ. So now you have the construct imputed within your mental cavity in your spirit, the ability to understand the truth of God's word. But what happens is, is at salvation, although we've been chosen and changed, the information that drives us in the worldview of God to apply it is not there. Therefore, we must inject in ourselves the word of God that the, Christ, the, the Christ-like mind that we have can utilize. Because although we've been given the capacity to think thoughts like Christ, because Christ has redeemed us, many times we we misappropriate um, the mind of Christ by living out a worldly philosophy of life rather than a redeemed philosophy of life. Therefore, losing our distinction, looking more like the world rather than God's worshiping community of disciples. But this doesn't. This does not mean that Christians. Um, um, do not love, do not interact with the world. A lot of people look at us being distinct, and a lot of Christians begin to retreat. There are three types of people that's out here. There's, a, there's, there's the separatists, there's the conformists, and there's the transformists. There's the separatists, there's the conformists, and there's the transformists. The separatist is the person that sees a passage like this and, and develop a subculture of Christianity that they make spiritual. So if you're not like this, 
you're not a Christian. Let's separate from culture. Everybody that comes into our context, let's change the way they look so they can look like us, therefore being more Christian. Let's separate from, oh, don't go to the movies. Oh, don't go over there. Don't go down South Street. Oh, don't go over, over to University City, over in that part of University City. Don't go in that store. Don't go, oh, don't, don't even walk past the magazine section. Oh, don't, now they got magazines in there. Oh, don't go in the store. And so there are all of these prohibitions. There are all of these laws. And so what they do is they develop a list to go beside the word of God to help you keep the word of God. But then the list becomes the word of God and the word of God is the exalted, the separatist. And so Jesus says being a separatist doesn't make you distinct. What's funny is, is during the monastic period of the church, what was crazy is Cass was like, man, the world is hellacious. We got to dip. We got to get out of here. So Cass started doing monasteries, becoming monks, talking about, man, I ain't, I, I, I'm not having sex no more, or I ain't, I, I ain't never going to have sex, man. What I'm going to do, let's build us a monastery. Let's put a bunch of books in there, get some candles, and eat bread and water, and call it a day. Man, Cass got up in there. And got to realizing, man, they, start, they still had sexual desires. Their minds still went all over the place. Um, they thought because we got away, they got away and all they were going to do is spend all the day humming, ah, and looking in books and reading all down. They thought they were going to be straight because they separated themselves from society. But the thing that they didn't count on was them being there. See, and us being separatists... And being a separatist, we have an overestimation of how much we actually walk in redemption. Are you with me? That means you think you're more sanctified than you actually are. And so many of us think more highly of ourselves than we are. But let each man take heed lest he fall. There's no temptation that has overcome you that is common to man. Everybody says, well, God won't, I know God won't give me more than I can bear. When the context of the passage, he doesn't give you more than you can bear based on you putting yourself in a sinful situation and him giving you an opportunity to get out. Not just putting on more than you can bear through suffering. Because Paul in 2 Corinthians says, the Lord allowed on me more than I could bear. So it's not that God won't allow on you more than you can bear. That's why the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 that we're supposed to what? Bear one another's burdens. The Greek word for burdens there means a load that you can't bear, you need help with, you need the body to help you do that while in Galatians 5 you walk in the spirit together. So we can't be separatists. They're even sectarian and separatists within the framework of Christians who think they're better than other Christians. And so let's move away from being with those Christians because that'll make us more distinctive. But then again, they're still there. Let me go to the conformists. We can stay on that all day. The conformists. The conformist is the person that had no scruples. I mean, like they say, well, you know, the you know, ain't nothing wrong with drinking. So which which is not which is not. We don't teach. Uh, 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 um, um, being an abstentionist as a biblical format unless you're alcoholic. However, some people that are conformists will get deeply in the, into the world's culture. Man, I, I'm going into this club, man, and I'm going to share the gospel, man. I'm going to get me uh, a tequila sunrise, me a triple sec, and I'm going to get me a, a sex on the beach and a blue Malibu. Man, you know, we just sipping the Lord's album. You know, let me get me a little gin and juice. Now, don't put too much gin in there. I'm a Christian. Another round for us all. But in other words, the, conform, the conformists, I can, the conformists underestimate their ability to handle how much of the world they go into. See, everybody, all of us got a little bit of separatist in us, but everybody also got a little bit of conformist in us. And so Jesus didn't, Jesus is not taking us out of the world. However, he wants us to be distinct so that we can properly govern what it looks like to be distinct while we're still yet in the world. Y'all with me still? And so then the, so the conformist underestimates how much they can handle. So the conformist just goes all out with every, they, they throw off the strains of Christian liberty. They don't look out for their weaker brother. They don't, I mean, they don't, they don't even look out for themselves. That's the, that's the conformist. The conformist spends time with the world. Oh, I'm building relationships with unbelievers. But when they're around unbelievers, they begin to be sanctified in the philosophy of the unbelievers rather than causing the under, unbelievers to come to Jesus Christ through salvation and be sanctified through that. But then there's the transformist. The transformist is the person that understands that they understand their tendencies. See, the transformist say, listen, I can fall. So there are some things that I can't do that maybe another Christian can do or go into. And there's the transformist say, man, 
um, even though I'm called to be distinct, I'm not called to be distinct by myself. I'm called to be distinct with others. And so the transformists <laughs> seek to see the gospel in culture. They seek, um, they don't necessarily over-categorize life. Like the, trans, the, the, um, the separatists categorize as life, whereas the transformers say, no, nah, the gospel of Jesus Christ is supposed to invade every area of life. Nor do the, the, does the transformers see their liberties as an opportunity for sin. The transformers is honest about the dangers of the world, but are not paralyzed by the evil that's in the world. That's key. That's key. That's key. We don't sleep on our ability to wig out. But we don't let us sleeping on our ability to wig out stop us from actually going out and invading the culture with God's truth. Are you with me? So the transformers. So y'all with me? We got to, what was the first one? Okay, and what was the second one? And then what was the third one? What, are we, what should we try to be? Now, the, trans, the, 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 the separatist thinks they're perfect. The conformists know that they're not per- perfect. The transformist says, I'm being perf- I've been positionally perfected. I'm yet being perfected, but I'm still jacked up and I'm in need of God's help. See, that's the difference. And so what Jesus has called us to do, dang, I didn't mean to be this much time. But Jesus, Jesus called us to be people that are distinct within the context of the world without being overly, in, overly invertedly influenced by the world. So that's what it means to be chosen out of the world. We are spiritually disassociated, not necessarily physically disassociated. Are you with me? Okay, now, let's, let's, let's keep on going. Opposition will not hinder kingdom growth. That's good news. Look at Jesus. Jesus says in the latter part of 20B, he says, if they, well, I think that's C, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. They'll persecute you. But not only that, if they, those who keep my word will also keep your word if my word is actually your word and is not yours. Okay, so what we have to do is the apostles, that's why it says in Titus, I mean, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? What they heard from Jesus Christ over a three-year period. The apostles, when they got them 3,000, they had the 120, they were dropping weight on them from what they had learned from Jesus. And so Jesus says, listen, opposition and people hating on you will not, even though there will be people that won't respond to the gospel, remember that I don't want you to get discouraged. There will actually be people that do respond to the gospel. And I think that's good news for us because, uh, so Jesus challenges us not to allow the opposition of the world to cause us to shut our mouths. Cause us to shut our mouths. I remember the the guy who um, runs the facility here, he um, ended up getting a trip to Turkey. Some Muslims, um, some Palestinian Muslims, not Palestinian, but Turkish Muslims, offered them the opportunity to go to, to um, Turkey. Now, I, I wouldn't have went, y'all. I mean, I ain't going to front. I don't know if I'd have went, you know. But he godly in the mug, so he went. And so um, he went over there, and he, and he was given the opportunity to go among unbelieving, I mean, you know, just Muslims, and able to educate them on the Christian faith. If he would have proclaimed the gospel, he would have gotten beheaded. He said that day a few Christians went out and began sharing the gospel and got beheaded. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? Let's think about this. You preaching the truth of Jesus Christ. People coming to get you. Taking you and you knowing what's about to happen. They put your head down, and they commence to slowly sawing your head off. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? Can you imagine being taken out, and there's a, there's a bunch of people hurraying and roaring, and then you stand out in the middle, and you're bound, and they didn't feed the lions for a while. And they release the lions, and you see a 15, I mean, how many pounds of lions? I mean, there's some big jokers. Coming towards you, and they go for your neck, and you're bound up, and you have to wait until you go unconscious. Dying for the gospel. Jesus says the persecution of the church 
won't stop the building of the kingdom. It'll be a part of the building of the kingdom. And I pray that one day in our culture and in our society, we get a chance to see it in our day. If you look through the book of Acts, you'll see persecution, you'll see success. You'll see persecution, you'll see success. You'll see Paul going to a city, preach, get the snot beat out of him. People come to Jesus. They gather and hide in houses. They let him out in a rope and get him out, and he's gone. In the midst of persecution, there's always success. But then we go further and we say, opposing parties experience grim consequences. Look at verse 21. It says, but all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have... They have seen and hated both me and my father, but the word of, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. What's funny is Jesus, Jesus lays out the fact to his disciples. He says, listen, those who persecute you and reject you won't get away with it. I remember when I first started trusting, when I, when I first started walking with the Lord, and I was, I was kind of like my man on there, but I think I was a little worse. And man, one time I was talking to this uh, the dude from the Nation of Islam, and I and I and I, I you know I used to read the warning passages for people not believing, and he he be getting he be you know a black man is God, and I go back with him. I said nah. He said well you serve a white guy. I said nah, God is spirit, and and we just going back and forth, and we going back and forth. And at the end of the conversation, he debate, he go forward, I go forward. At the end of the conversation, I said guess what? I said man, I'm gonna be standing beside Jesus with a white linen outfit on cleansed of my sin, and I said, on the day of judgment, I'm going to look for you. And I said, I'm going to look at you, and I'm going to bust my gut laughing at the fact that today we had this conversation, and you reject the gospel. And, the Bible, and I knew my little Bible, so I said, man, I said, man, and the Bible says, I'm going to judge. And you know what? I'm going to hunch Jesus on the shoulder if I'm that close to him. I'm going to say, Look at, look at homie right there. Lord, smash him up. Uh, let me find your place in the book. Where your name at? Uh, I was, cr- I mean, I was just crazy. And this dude, this dude, he actually started getting scared. He was like, oh, snap. He started, you know what I'm saying? But it was, I mean, but, but like, I, but, but see, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And so, what, what, so I, I wanted to be careful of this. So, but Jesus does say that he is going to punish him. But we don't like we don't like preach the gospel of punishment. Like I preach, like I was, we just want to tell people that, you know, hell is a penalty of God's man. But I was like, like enjoying, I took a joy out of his rejection and took a joy out of the fact that he was going to be put on blast. So that's not the way we should do it. But what does Jesus do? Opposing parties unknowingly oppose Jesus, the closest, I mean, the clearest presenter of the ways of God. Jesus says, um, he says, um, Right, 21b. He says, but they do not know uh, him who sent me. Jesus came once, uh, John 1, 18. He came to explain the Father. This is beautiful, 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 and it's good application here. Jesus came to explain the Father. The word there is where we get our word exegete from, to take out of. When Jesus, or to narrate. When Jesus came to earth, he, the world did not know the Father know the ways of the Father. So Jesus Christ, real simple, came to tell the world what God the Father was like. Jesus says they rejected him. When they rejected him, they rejected the Father. Now what's interesting is that the believing community, this is, our, this is the gospel at its core. In, in carrying the baton of what Jesus Christ passed down to a 2 Timothy 2, 2, passing this on to faithful men that they may teach others. We're becoming a faithful community. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 13, we're supposed to be a teaching community, teaching one another, making disciples of one another. And so, and so what happens is, is we're supposed to continue the work of Jesus Christ by explaining the Father, by explaining Jesus. See, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to faithfully 
understand who Jesus Christ is and proclaim who Jesus Christ is, when you and I proclaim God's way of thinking and God's way of doing things as revealed in the person of Christ, we are explaining to people the Father. Now, Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Colossians 1, 6, 1, 15 says, he is the invisible, and he's the visible representation of the visible, invisible God. And God was pleased to cause the, the, the fullness of the Godhead. That means all of the attributes and nature of what makes God God be in the person of Jesus Christ so that while Jesus was on earth, he was hearing the voice of God based on his time with God eternally. But also because God was still in him, he didn't stop being God. He could explain what was exactly going on on the inside of him. So when we explain Jesus explaining that to us, we're explaining to others the ways of the Father, the mind of the Father, the passions of the Father, the direction of the Father, and that's what we're supposed to be as a distinct community. Do we become little gods? No. However, we, be, we become partakers of the divine nature. First Peter 3, 2 Peter 1, 3 says we will be partakers of the divine nature. We will be invited into eternal community with the triune God. And what we experience in that triune community, this is deep stuff, but it's, it's close to home stuff, and it's stuff that every Christian should know. As we enjoy through abiding, as we uh, abiding in Christ, as we enjoy through loving other believers, all of this is tied together. It goes from the inside out. You can try to share your faith as much as you want to, but if proper abiding in Christ and abiding with the people of God isn't happening, then you're going to always be misrepresenting Jesus Christ. Jesus says the world is going to think that they're doing you a favor. It's funny. I watch Animal Planet a lot with my son. And one of the funny things on Animal Planet is a lot of times, man, they'd be trying to save animals. Like, I, I, like I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, you praise God. Um, man, they'd be trying to save animals, man. I saw this dude trying to save an animal. Man, that animal was trying to tear him up. <laughs> trying to tear him up. And he's, we got to save him. We got to take care of him. And I'm sitting there like, yeah, man, you better than me. Got bit, got scratched horse kicking him in the face like this because he drowned horse just kicking he just keep kicking bam move move aside move aside. and it, i mean and, and the horse is, i mean i'm sitting there like man if he don't want like fam leave him there i mean that's too much work be trying to save people that don't want to save an animal that don't want to be saved and he don't want to be saved I'm be, and so the animal thinks he's in danger and so he begins to putting himself in more danger by hurting the person that's trying to save him and that's the point of this passage is Jesus says people will think when you share my father's ways with them that you're trying to actually hurt them and they'll be doing you damage. But listen, but he said, listen, you got to continue to persevere to engage them with truth, even though they kick you in the grill. That's perseverance. That's perseverance. That's perseverance. But then it goes and says, Jesus goes down and says, opposing Jesus as the revealer of the Father will incur the strictest judgment. I'm not going to spend too much time on that point. But Jesus talks about in the day of judgment, there are people that are going to be getting judged. They're going to look at the generation during his time, and they're going to be like, dang, man. Like, if I'd have saw all that, I would have responded. Jesus said, I've done among you the works that no one has ever done, and they didn't believe. He said the same thing will happen to other to other believers. But then finally, I mean, next to finally, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to aid us in being faithful to the gospel in the midst of opposition. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to aid us in being faithful to the gospel in the midst of opposition. Look at verse 26. It says, but when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me first thing we are aided by the holy spirit to bring credibility um uh, to, to bring credibility to our witness while being opposed Jesus says, listen, the Father, me and the Father are going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come and bring credibility to your witness while you're yet witnessing. I'm not going to go into all of that because we're going to talk about it in chapter 16. 
But let's look at the word helper real quick. The word helper is almost a very difficult word to translate to English. Um, it's the word parakletos. Um, it means to come alongside of. It can have the sense of counselor. It can have the sense of, of, of um, helper, helper. But those don't quite, those are parts of the definition. Um, what we kind of like to use is the word advocate. And the word advocate, um, and we don't like to use helper or assistant necessarily because that can make the, the Holy Spirit seem subordinate to us. Just a quick footnote. Many people treat the Holy Spirit like he's under our command rather than us being under his command. Holy Spirit, I, right now by the Holy Spirit, you. I'm like, the Holy Spirit look like, look. Holy Spirit, it, let it come down. And, and the Holy Spirit like, tag, y'all dissing me. I'm not an it, I'm a he, fam. I'm a person. But pe- we, we spend a lot of time commanding the person we're supposed to be under the command of. So we got to be very careful of uh, commanding the Holy Spirit when we're actually under the Spirit's command. Little, little nugget, little nugget. But then, not only, not only did the Holy Spirit bring credibility to our ministry, to what we do, um, but also, um, we must bear the marks of having been with Jesus. Well, in this passage, Jesus is specifically talking to his apostles. He said, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, what does that mean? Him being with them from the beginning, because they've gotten all the teachings and they've been discipled and the imprint of who Jesus is, is on their lives. And so the reason why I want you to bear witnesses of me is because I've shared with you everything that the Father has given to me. Well, that's passed on down to us. And so as believers, uh, you know, although the Holy Spirit in this passage, of course, is responsible for the results and, and, and the empowerment, the disciple must show courage in taking responsibility to share the gospel through both life and lips. So it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to bear witness when we share the gospel, but he also goes before us. Um, when we're sharing the gospel, you know, it was interesting. And, and all of this, remember, is done during hostility. It's interesting that in first Peter, the book of first Peter is about believers being faithful in the midst of opposition. Believers being faithful in the midst of opposition. And um, he, he tells you, listen, pay your taxes, even though you're under opposition from that government. Still go to work and submit to your to submit to your employer. Husbands and wives don't stop being husbands and wives. Husbands and wives don't stop being husbands and wives. And, and he goes all the way through with that. But in this passage, it's interesting um, that Jesus Christ tells us, don't stop sharing the gospel even in the midst of opposition. You know, I remember one time, blew my mind. My wife, it was a few falls ago, she, um, she had to have eight surgeries on the same area. She had, she had, she had gotten a mesh in her belly, and, um, and um, they ended up poking a hole in her intestine, and she was just leaking bile for days, just leaking. So she had, they had a wound back on her stomach, and um, I was like, dang, I know she is sick of going to the hospital. And so um, this woman was discipling my wife, and so um, she had a good relationship with her, found out that she uh, used to go to, to, to Russian countries a lot. And so um, one of, um, one of the, the texts was from Russia. And my wife had been trying to, and it was blowing me away, and she was more concerned about sharing the gospel with this lady than she was about the fact that her stomach was leaking. And so um, she called her disciple and said, look, do you have any Russian Bibles? And um, she got the Russian Bible, and one day the Russian lady came in, and she, she, wasn't, a, she wasn't a believer, and she gave the Russian Bible to the lady. And the, the lady grabbed the Russian Bible, she opened the Bible, and just began to weep profusely. And she said... I can't believe I've seen you in this hospital 15 times, basically. Hospitalized. How in the world are you concerned about getting, not just sharing your faith with me, but getting a Bible in a language because I have a hard time with English? And she was wrecked for the rest of the time being there. But I was applauding my wife because of the grace, yeah, that the Holy Spirit was giving her to remain faithful in the midst of opposition. And so that's what we're all called to do is to remain faithful no matter what we go through. Us going through difficulties is not an excuse for us to wig out. But we're still called. That's when it's real. See, if, 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 if we wig out because of the circumstances, then that means we weren't really walking with the Lord in the first place.
But then finally, we find comfort in being opposed for the right reasons. Jesus says, last and not least, he says, I've said these, all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus says, listen, I don't want you to allow opposition to make you think that I'm not with you. I don't want you to allow any type of opposition, anything that you go through, to make you think, yo, that I'm not with you. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm, actually, I'm actually there with you. And, 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 and that, that is an affirmation of the fact that I'm doing something. The word of falling away here is actually the word that we get our word apostasy from. People falling away from the faith. He says he doesn't want Christians to become confused and to begin to fall off because difficulty comes our way. So hateology principles. Hateology principles. These principles is, um, is, is our opposition is, is, is a part of our mission. That's, that's, a, that's an ultimate part of our mission as... Um, being under the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ, hate is, uh, that's a part of our mission, opposition. Opposition is not sought. It's a given. Um, opposition is the product of being changed. Um, not only that, opposition will never hinder kingdom growth. Opposing parties experience over and over, they're going to experience grim consequences. Opposing Jesus as the revealer of the Father will always incur stricter judgment. Not only that, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to aid us in being faithful to the gospel in the midst of opposition. And finally, we've got to find comfort in being opposed. That means we're on the right track. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4, 14, it says, Do not be surprised by the fiery trial that is among you. All believers, we're supposed to know that a part of the paradoxal principle of being in Christ is one of the things I want us to walk away with today is this, is this, real simple. We must reorient, reorient ourselves to understand what it looks like to be in the will of God. It's real easy for the gospel that we preach. God has a plan for your life. God wants this to happen. But Jesus says, the plan that I have for your life in this passage is to be faithful in the midst of opposition. When the disciples were first made in Iconium, Lystra, and Deborah, it says, they, after they were made disciples, the thing that they left them with, it says, through much trial and tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm not talking about front-loading the gospel with requirements. However, we got to make sure that people understand that coming to Jesus Christ doesn't solve all your problems, but it keeps you in the midst of them. Lord God, we thank you. We praise you for the fact that you have called us to understand.